um, today um, we're going to get started on a sermon, um, and we're going to continue, though, our series on Jesus the Disciple Maker, how Jesus taught us how to live and taught us how to follow him. And so today, we're kind of going into a little bit of a sermon that, I don't know, maybe not is everybody's favorite topic in church, right? You've picked up already. It's about giving, right? Do you not like the sermons in church that are, seem to be about money and about giving? I mean, those aren't my favorite to give. I had the privilege of being pastor of a church for 14 years that needed no money. The pastor was paid for by somebody else, and the building was paid for by somebody else. We met at a university, and they took care of it. We didn't need any money. And so we would talk about money occasionally, but it was, we didn't need any. So that was kind of a privilege. I could always say, now, we don't need your money, but let me talk to you about giving. It kind of freed me up. But here's what I realized. Jesus says this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Money is actually a discipleship issue because it impacts our lives. So much of our thoughts and what consumes us is our, our, our finances. It's about what we're trying to achieve or get. It's about how we're going to pay our bills, especially when, okay, you're, you're listening to the same news I'm listening to, right? Um, there's something called inflation. I didn't even know stagnation was a thing, but apparently there's a stagnation inflation. Anybody know? I, I, I still don't understand it. I'm not, but apparently people are like, is our economy on the verge of stagnation or recession or, I don't know, uh, any of those terms. But it's a hard issue because it consumes our lives. We think about it. We get obsessed with it. And so Jesus says that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if we are going to follow Jesus, if we're going to learn to be his disciple makers, but also learn to be his disciples, we've got to kind of look at our treasure and look at our money. So we've been looking at the Gospel of John, and we're in chapter 6, where it's interesting, we see a scene where Jesus does some teaching. In John chapter 6, it says this, that sometime after this, Jesus was on the far side of the Sea of Galilee. That's also called the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people, and we're talking thousands uh, of people, followed him because they saw these miraculous signs, the signs that he had performed by healing the sick. Go on to verse 5. When Jesus looked up, he saw this great crowd coming towards him, and he said to Philip, one of his disciples, where shall we buy bread for all of these people? It's a good question. They're out in the wilderness. There's not little convenience stores nearby. Where are we going to get bread for these people to eat? But look at verse 6. Jesus asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Read this week. I got really excited. It's final exam week on campus, so <laughs> I realized I'm becoming more like Jesus by giving final exams, right? Jesus gave a test. Jesus tested his disciples, so really, I'm just following Jesus, but I don't think they're going to buy that argument. I don't think they're uh, believing that, but look at the problem that Jesus threw out there. This was the test he gave. Um, it's a math test, really. You've got five loaves, two fish, and that is less than 5,000 bites of food. Um, here's how that worked out, and here's what I mean by that. Philip gave an answer to the situation by saying this. Look, Philip answered in verse 7, it won't, won't it, 
It would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each person to have a bite. What is Philip saying? Look, Jesus, you're asking us to go buy food, even if we had fish, even if we had Philip's, even if we had like unlimited resources. It's going to cost way too much. It's going to take six months of your salary uh, to just buy enough for everyone to have a, a, just a, just a taste, a little nibble, not even something to sustain you to the ride home. It's going to take so much more money. It is not good economic sense. Philip's answer to Jesus was, "This doesn't make any sense." Now, <clears throat> I couldn't help it. Um, <clears throat> this is final exam week. My ethics class, we're talking a little bit about um, act utilitarianism, which is all about getting the greatest number of good for the greatest number of people. It's all about economics, really, of like doing what's right and wrong, trying to figure it out in a mathematical sense. Philip was going down that path. He was basically using utilitarianism. Let me explain. Um, you look for aggregate utility, right? You're trying to do the greatest number of good for the greatest number of people. And to do that, you've got to figure out, well, the scope. How many people are affected? Well, here's 5,000 people on a hillside, this great crowd who would come. And if we spend all this money for them to have food, well, 5,000 people were affected. But you've got to look at the, 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 the cost. What's the cost? Our whole operating pay budget. I mean, it's going to take half a year's wages just for them to have a bite. It's going to cost way more than that to have a meal. This could cost three, four, five years worth of our entire budget. It doesn't make sense to feed 5,000 and then lose out all of this money. It just doesn't make sense. Number two, it's duration, Jesus. Let me explain it to you this way. They're going to get one meal or one bite for one moment. But it's going to cost our ministry budget so much. I mean, this, is, well, this, is, this doesn't make any sense to us. It, 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 there's no way. And think about intensity. Sure, they'll be happy for the one meal, but just think of what's going to happen. The rest of us are going to be upset for at least six months of extreme labor to earn back all the money that we're going to lose. The, the, the cost-benefit analysis doesn't make sense. And probability, it's high. We know what this is going to cost. We know that what this is going to do. Philip was approaching the situation like a utilitarian. Do we try to take care of all these other people? Or, gosh, yeah, just, the cost is too much. Maybe we should just focus on ourselves and our own need. Are you a utilitarian? When it comes to God, when it comes to the stewardship of your wealth, when it comes to how you approach problems and situations, are you constantly calculating in your head, going, yeah, that person has a need, but... I mean, are they going to come back for more later? Is this really going to help them? You know, teach a man to fish, and that feeds him for a lifetime. If I just give him a fish, that's, that's not going to help someone. You know, actually, by not helping, I'm really teaching them to fish. Well, I'm not actually teaching them to fish, but I'm helping them be motivated to go learn how to fish, right? You know, we, we sometimes, we refuse to give. Sometimes we don't want to sacrifice. Sometimes we don't want to give because we start saying, this is going to cost me too much. Even being involved in a church, even being involved in church, sometimes we're like, what I really want is church that would bless me. But the truth of the matter is, following Jesus, being part of a disciple-making process, it is costly. It just is. Jesus said if anyone was going to be his disciple, they have to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow. Sometimes we have to like lay it out there, not just with our monies, but with our lives as well. Philip's answer was a utilitarian answer. I don't think it was the right one.
Well, another of Jesus' disciples, he did his little essay. He did his little final exam here. Uh, maybe it wasn't the final exam, but he put his little answer in. Andrew, another one of the disciples, um, said this. Um, he was Simon Peter's brother, and he speaks up and says, Well, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. That's where I got those numbers, right? Five loaves plus two fish. Um, that doesn't even, that's less than everybody even getting a bite to eat. Um, here's a boy with five loaves and two fish. It's really the only food we've got. We, we did a quick survey. Nobody else came prepared. Nobody else brought lunch. Nobody else, everybody else thought that food was provided. <laughs> and nobody got the memo. This one kid's the only one whose mom packed him a sack lunch. Maybe he packed his own lunch. But this one young man has uh, two small fish, five barley loaves, but there's well over 5,000 people. How, how far is this going to go? Andrew wasn't saying that it's impossible. Well, he was saying it's impossible. He's saying, like, look, we just, we, when it comes down to it, it doesn't matter if we gave everything we had. It's not enough. Well, Jesus' response was to take the loaves. He took that small offering. Uh, he gave thanks to God. And it says this in verse 11. He distributed to those that were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. Jesus miraculously multiplies the food. And in fact, in verse 12, it says, when they had all eaten and had enough to eat, not just a bite, but had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the broken pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them together, and it was 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. Twelve basketfuls of leftovers that God had provided. One lunch multiplied out. This was one of these miraculous signs. This was a sign that in so much inspired the people that they were ready to come and make Jesus king. They were ready to come and try to overthrow the Roman Empire. They were ready to come and go forward because they said, look, this guy... Well, good grief. This is like a social welfare system. He's already got a plan for it. He can take one lunch and feed us all. Why not make him king? Why not make him the leader? Why not put him in charge? What was Jesus' answer? Well, five loaves plus two fish times Jesus is a whole lot more. The first time I tried to do this little formula thing, I did it for a group of Johns Hopkins students. And they were taking notes. <laughs> they, were, they, they were busily trying to figure out the calculations. and trying to, I, Someone had a calculator. I'm not sure that's what we're supposed to be learning here. But here's where I know we're supposed to be learning. In the book of Jeremiah, verse, chapter 32, verse 27, it says, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? Is anything too hard for me. When we approach situations in our life, when we approach the financial situations in our life, when we approach the situations concerning this church, we have to take an honest look and say, it's often not enough. It's often not enough. Maybe how much you saved and how much you think your house is going to be worth someday, it might come crashing down. Now, right now, you might be thinking, no, 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 it's going up. My house is worth a lot, but my, my stock market's going way down. How is it? You can do all the calculations you want, but the world can turn upside down. The Lord is where we put our trust. Um, we can say, oh, okay, here's a plan. This, I think this is going to work to really help this church grow. We've got to do X, Y, and Z. We can have the best laid plans, but if they don't have Jesus in them, 
were done. I read a book uh, a couple weeks ago, and the line that kind of stuck out to me was, you know, God will let you do... Don't don't miss this one, because this one really spoke to me. God will let you do everything on your own and go as far as you can go on your own until he doesn't. Wait, what? God will let you go as far as you can go and do as much as you can do on your own, in your own power, with your own ability, until he doesn't. You see, we can all make plans. We can all be faithful. We can all be the ones who like, well, I worked hard in school and I did my job and I... But there comes a point when there are problems that are too big for us, that are things that we can't face, there are things that we can't handle, things that we can't achieve on our own. God's going to put us in a place to teach us, to teach us that we need the Lord. To learn this truth, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? Jesus, our great disciple maker, he, he, in some ways he was a math teacher. In some ways he was doing this. In some ways he was doing this. He taught his disciples by, number one, adding opportunities for them to have trust and obedience. You see that the addition? Hey, hey, here's a situation. Hey, guys, where are we going to find food for all of these people? It was a situation they didn't have an answer for. It, was, it wasn't a trick question. The answer was Jesus. He was standing right before them. They had already seen the miraculous signs. But once again, a new situation came along. Something they had never faced before. Something that they had never done before. Jesus adds situations in our lives where we have to learn to have trust and obedience. Number two, Jesus actually answers, answers our prayers, fulfills uh, the, the requests, fulfills our needs, makes a difference in our lives because he's subtracting, he's pulling away that reservoir of doubt, those insecurities. You heard Susan this morning say, there was no way. We did not have enough money. We weren't going to be able to tithe. And Harold's saying, nope, we're going to follow the Lord. And she's like, no. Ah. It was an opportunity for God to take away those doubts. So now she's saying clearly, yeah, let's give to the Lord. (laughs) He's provided. He has proved himself faithful every time. He multiplies the benefit to others. He multiplies the benefit to others. I, I don't know what your plans are for your money, but boy... I want the money God has given me to make a difference in the world. I want people to come to know Christ. I want missionaries to be supported. I I want children to be fed. I want lives to be changed. We have opportunities to give and multiply our lives out so that the world is blessed because this place is only temporary. And i got to be honest, I don't know that I really need a bigger screen TV when lives could be changed. And finally... He divides our attention from those things that we obsess about. He pulls it away so they become about what God has a priority and what his priorities are. Look at what the next day the people came around to Jesus. They'd run around the lake. They wanted to see him again. Jesus is like, you only came here because you got lunch, free lunch yesterday, and you just want free lunch again. And the people came around, and in John chapter 6, verse 26, it says this. Jesus says, very truly I tell you, you're looking for me not because you saw the miraculous signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him the Father has placed a seal of approval. 
Stop working for the temporary. Stop working for the, the, the things that are here and now. I think the challenge to give financially is the challenge to recenter my heart that as I give of what God has entrusted to me, I remember what's really important. I remember to value what is eternal. I remember to put the resources he's given to me and invest them in the lives of others and not just in myself. By giving and trying and seeking to give more than I was giving before, I'm able to put more of my heart into heaven because where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. It redefines what's important to me. Does that make sense? Here, Jesus is saying, don't work for the stuff that spoils. The TV goes away. <laughs> the new car goes away. Everything in this world rots. But what lasts forever, people, God's kingdom, I want my heart to be there. So the question becomes, are we living for my plans for my money? Or is it really my stewardship of what's always belonged to God? I, I was hearing a story again, and it's an interesting one. It's a, it's a Chesapeake story. But uh, the guy's name is um, Bloxham. Bloxham. Um, all of a sudden, his first name is slipping out of my head. But he lived from, from 1879 to 1963. Um, and his wife's name was Missouri, which I, I can remember her name. But Missouri, Bloxham, and, and uh, um, it's like Adoniram Bloxham. It, it was one of the, these older names, right? But he owned a fish store. It was the Battery Park in Virginia. Battery Park, Virginia was the Battery Park Fish and Oyster Factory, right? You know, they catch the fish, they clean them, they package them, you know, all of that kind of stuff, right there on the Ch Chesapeake. And he was the wealthiest man in town. He was the, I mean, wealthy, rich, all of this kind of, had the biggest house in town. Everybody knew who the Bloxham were. And church, his big house was right across the street from the church. So everybody can walk out and go, yep, yep, there's the Bloxham's house right there. Well, he, as his relationship with God grew, he began to say he wanted to give and would give faithfully and give a tithe. So much was he committed, so much had this reality that God provides and that God gives that had impacted his life so much that here's what he said to his employees. I'm going to make you a challenge. I'm going to make you a challenge. I want you to tithe. Give 10% of what I'm paying you in this job, you give 10% to the Lord. And if your life is not better in every aspect, financially, relationally, every aspect, in one year, I'll pay you back the entire tithe. That's putting your money where your mouth is, right? That, I mean, this guy sat there and said, look, I'm willing to, I'm, 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 I'll put my own finances up. If it's, your life is not better in a year, in every aspect, by following God and be obedient to him, I'll pay you back. So, this is, you can't lose here. You can't lose. You just start tithing. You start following the Lord. You start doing what God has called you to do and see how God I don't know if I'm willing to make that commitment. <laughs> anyway, I, I mean, if you guys are willing to say, start tithing and I'll pay you back. I don't, I mean, he's putting it online. Now, 
He's telling this story. This is the funny thing. He's telling this story to this young girl, this young like niece of his, kind of like a distant like, cousin, niece type of person in his life. He's telling this story to this young girl um, and uh, saying, look, this is what I'm telling my employees, and this is what they're doing, and God is blessing them, and he's working. And this young girl decides that she wants to tithe, that she's going, and she's making 50 cents an hour babysitting. Uh, back in, I mean, this is, you know, back in the 60s, right? Uh, uh, late 50s, 60s. And she's just, okay, if I make 50 cents, I'm going to give a nickel to the Lord. I'm going to give a nickel to the Lord. I'm going to give a nickel to the Lord. So my mom that day started tithing and never looked back. To this day, she has got this trust fund that she kind of inherited, has this other thing that she takes, and she's like, we won't spend any of this on the family, and it is just hers, and she said, I've given it all to the Lord, and her joy is finding who she can invest in. Who she, that's her joy. It's like, what, what, don't you want to take a cruise, Mom? That or feed these children at the orphanage. <laughs> that or her joy is in giving. It started as a young girl being told by this great uncle who was like, I challenge my employees to give. And she began that tithing. Some of you all have been doing this your lifetime. You're like, we're already tithing. Like, we give to the Lord. We've been doing all of this. How are you passing on the stories? The stories we heard from the Tinsleys today. Can we pass those on to our children? Can we pass those on to our grandchildren? Can we help others know that, look, giving to the Lord, I don't want you to miss this blessing. My wife and I committed at the first of our marriage that we would give to the Lord and give faithfully and give our tithe to the Lord. Why did we do that? I don't know. We were sort of raised that way. I guess it was the story of Mr. Bloxham impacting our family. But we have never been without. I mean, even when we didn't have jobs, even when we didn't know how much money we were going to have, I mean, I can remember in Syracuse, we just, every month we were dipping in the savings, we were not going to make it. We had like about two months to make it, and one month I'm just thinking, we brought in no money this month, and we've got bills to pay, the rent is due, and the food is due. And there in the parking lot, a guy backed into my wife, put a dent in the door that already had a dent in it, already, <laughs> and the company paid us $900. Rent was 600 food was 300 and he just, they just paid for it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God has always been faithful. So let me challenge you with this. Number one, if you haven't been uh, ever giving, and that just seems like a, a far way out there thing for you, number one, you need to make a decision. A decision to give that you're going to say, look, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be committed to what God has called me to do. In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it says this. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. I don't want you to miss out on, on what God wants to do in your life. It says whoever sows generously will reap generously. Not just finances, but a transformation of life. He says each of you, the Apostle Paul says, each of you should decide in your heart what you're going to give. Don't do it reluctantly. Don't do it under compulsion. Don't hear, well, the pastor said, I got to do this. I don't know. No, it's because you've said, look, I want to actually follow God, and this is something that I believe I'm supposed to do. You decide in your heart what you're going to give, for God loves a cheerful giver. Number two, I suggest you make a plan. Make a plan to give regularly right? Don't just, well, end of the year, and I got to figure out how much tax benefit I can get. It's not that way. 
plan to give regularly. The Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 16. He says, on the very first day of the week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections have to be made. Um, I had a friend who, there was this, what what was it on Facebook or something? Do you guys know like the Giving Tuesday and like the first so many thousands and thousands of people who give on Giving Tuesday uh, through Facebook? Um, Who was it? Steve Jobs or somebody? It wasn't Steve Jobs. It was the the Microsoft guy. Um, And he said, hey, we're going to match it, right? We're going to match it. And I have some friends that we're going to give to the church that way. They're like, we've saved up our tithe all year. And we're going to go in at 7 a.m. right when it opens. We're going to be the first one. And we're going to double our tithe. It's going to be great. I had one of my friends tell me, she said, it was so hard to give that whole amount. Oh my gosh, I was like, I'm really going to give this. Well, if you'd given every month, it probably wouldn't have been a big deal, right? It makes so much difference giving regularly, giving regularly. Um, Now, does it have to be the first day of every week? Well, not necessarily. If you're paid every week, maybe that makes sense. I'm paid on more like a monthly basis. I pay my bills on a monthly basis, so I do it on a monthly basis, right? So I set aside a portion of our, our money in keeping with our income. Make a plan to give regularly. And finally, I would say this. You heard Harold mention the tithe. In the Old Testament, the people of God were required to give 10%. Now, that's not echoed in the New Testament as specifically 10%. Um, but here's the deal. I started out just hearing we should give 10%. And it has paid off so much in my life, not necessarily just financially, but just it was a great place to begin. Some of you would be thinking, wow, how in the world could we, could we do this? Listen to what God says in the book of Malachi. Bring the whole tithe, that whole 10%, into the storehouse, that there might be food in my house. Test me in this. Wait. God saying, test me? I thought we weren't supposed to put the Lord our God to the test. In this case, God's saying, no, 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 you test me in this. You see if this is not right. Test me in this, says the Lord, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out on you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. In Malachi's day, there was a challenge. The people of God were coming back from exile. The people of God, uh, the things had been destroyed. The temple was trying to be rebuilt. Uh, they, were, they were questioning, what, can we really give this kind of money? And God's saying, look, you, you think that you should build your own houses rather than building my house, but here's the deal. Bring the tithe into the storehouse. Test me in this. Let me show you how I will bless you. This is part of God's plan for us. It reorients our heart so that we're not consumed with material things. It teaches us to trust him. It teaches us to see how God provided for the Tinsleys. They experienced this. In two months, Harold gets the raise. We're able to see and correlate how God's blessing really is tied to our obedience because he's only doing what teaches us what is right. If you're monitoring the stock market, you might be thinking, how in the world could we be giving right now? We might be entering stagflation. Everything is going to cost more from gas to groceries. Everything is going to be more of a burden. Our mortgages are in jeopardy. How are we going to do this? Sometimes I think it begins with us personally saying, God, it never really depended on us in the first place. It's dependent on you. Do you believe Jeremiah 32, 27? I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. That includes you.
Is anything too hard for me? Is anything too hard for me? In 2 Corinthians 9, uh, God, Paul says this, And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. I don't like talking about money. I just don't. I just don't. But God has taught me so much. And far be it from me to not teach these young people at college and these young adults the truths that God has taught me. Far be it from me to rob them of the opportunity to learn to be dependent on the Lord with their finances. So my question for you this morning, are you placing your life and your possessions completely under Christ's control? And number two, are you asking God to guide you into deeper levels of stewardship of all that he has entrusted to you? My family has been a witness to me, and I want to be a witness to you. And I want you to be disciple makers that are witness to your family, to your children, to your grandchildren, to your friends of how the Lord is faithful to all that he has called us to do. Today, that first question, have you placed your life completely in his hands? That might be a question for some of you who don't know Jesus yet. I, you may never have said, Jesus, come into my life, forgive me of my sins. Jesus, I want to be your follower. Maybe you have never started this relationship with God. Today, if that's you, right where you're seated, right where you're sitting, or even right where you're watching, would you say to Jesus, forgive me of my sins, come into my life, I'm going to follow you. For those of us who are believers, maybe you're needing to make a commitment, a commitment to join this church, a, a commitment to become a steward um, and faithful in your giving. You obey and you follow Jesus as he calls you. I'm going to be at the front if you need someone to pray with, to speak with, and Aaron's going to lead us in the final song about surrendering everything to the Lord. The I surrender all.